Welcome to Mahita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergat, Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. You guys are in for a treat today. An old friend of mine from the Raymond Network made the time to join us today and share his leadership and sales experience with us. Mr. Joe Gennetti, he's currently the owner of JAG Learning Solutions, which is a sales uh, consultation and training organization. Welcome, Joe. Thanks so much for making the time to join us today. It's my pleasure to be here with you, Sherry. So if we can just jump right in. I know you've been in the material handling industry for a long time, and I'm always really curious as to how people got started in this space. You know, we talk a lot about nobody went to high school or college thinking they would be in material handling. Um, so could you give us a little bit of background of how you got started in the industry and kind of your progression throughout? Sure. I I was a former teacher, and uh, I was always interested in sales from the time I was a young child, actually, 12-year-old boy who became interested in a little magazine that I got that said Junior Sales Club of America. And uh, so at 12 years old, I started selling greeting cards door to door and enjoyed it. I enjoyed the interaction with people. And I was always chasing the brass ring, I guess you might say. So that was part of it. But, but in my life of, as a school teacher, it was very difficult to support a growing family. So I was working part-time as a waiter in a restaurant. And when I got to the point that I was making more money as a waiter than I was as a school teacher, I said, I really need to go ahead and find a way to stop working holidays and so forth to support a family. So uh, a friend of mine approached me and asked if uh, I would be willing he knew that i was looking for another job if i'd be willing to go ahead and entertain a position within the heister organization locally and it was a company that was named lewis boyle and they were the people that actually one of the owners uh, owned a company called lewis shepherd which was one of the early warehousing equipment and that's many many years ago so that's how it started for me and i eventually went to raymond and served many different many served in many different roles there at a local dealership before i moved into the corporate um, world with Raymond. Wow. So that's it in that's, a capsule. So you didn't go to high school thinking you'd be in the material handling industry? No, I didn't. I, I went to high school thinking that I'd be playing professional football, actually. Oh, wow. Um, so you've been in sales? I've been in sales for quite a few years. Uh, uh, many more than I I really believe have has gone by so quickly. It's uh, Basically, uh, since uh, 1976, 77, I believe. A few years. And I'm sure, you know, sometimes they say as much as things change, they tend to stay the same. And I'm sure you've heard a lot and seen a lot of changes in your time, especially as it revolves around industrial sales. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of tell us what you think your biggest, our biggest challenges today in industrial sales in the way that the market has evolved? Well, I, in, in many ways, it it's continues to change. And I think that the biggest change that we saw in the years that I spent uh, both with, uh, with Raymond on the dealer level and then Raymond on the corporate level were the number of competitors that had come into the field and the ability to differentiate a product on quote, nuts and bolts and fe features and benefits really has has diminished rapidly so that it put a lot of pressure on pricing uh, but at the same time the technologies that have changed in the equipment itself from uh, 
I'll give you an example of something. Resistor controlled reach trucks to microprocessor controlled reach trucks within the business. And that's only one of them. Now, the, the technologies that are out there are changing so rapidly that sometimes it can be difficult, I think, for manufacturers and for salespeople to stay up to date and uh, be proficient in what they are selling. The other thing yeah. that has changed, I, I think we should bring up a point here, sales compensation plans have changed with the pressure downward on margins on equipment, or at least in the lift truck business, per se. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if that's the same in some of the other uh, material handling operations, like people that are in the conveyor business, the carousel business, and uh, even in the integra sales integration end of it as well. I'm sorry, not sales, but, but systems integrators as well. So kind of staying on that topic, and you talked about the commoditization and the, you know, reducing of margins in the space, and it's all over the space. But yet, you know, our customers are facing a lot of those same things. So a lot of times they're really trying to squeeze the price down. There are many yep. people I've talked to that have customers that really, they don't care if their lift truck is, is red or yellow or, or gray or, or whatever it is. You know, all they care about is the lowest price. And the reality is some people just don't work for a company that can give the lowest price. So how do you sell against that of the people that seem to only care about price? It's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, it, I recall a meeting that I was sitting in on with the fellow who was the CEO of XL Logistics at the time, which was eventually purchased by DHL. And he made a comment and we were entering into a phase of negotiation for a new contract with them. And he made a comment to me uh, and the people who were in this meeting, I don't care if it's green, red, yellow, or pink, as long as it does the job for us and does it at a fair price, which was a, I thought, a, a very uh, good sign for us at the time because we were the incumbent within them and we had proven ourselves to do that. But basically, if someone had said to me, your price is too high, I would pause, I would look look at them, and I would say, I hear what you're saying, but can you tell me what it's compared to? So that's one basically um, ongoing response that people have given. Uh, and the other thing is I, I, want to, I would want to understand what their objectives were and what their price objection was based on. So you'd ask the question of them. Uh, I would also then ask them, how do you measure return on investment for a product that you may purchase? And from there, I would make sure that I definitely understood from him what he perceived as a cost for owning that equipment. Uh, I had an experience early on with a vice president of a major grocery operation in the northeastern part of the country. And he was putting up a new HBA facility, health and beauty aid facility. It was a big project that was over 20 pieces of equipment at the time. And I said, uh, how many pallets do you move during the course of the day? And he gave me the number. I said, what is the value of moving that product, that pallet and getting it out the door so that it gets on the books? He gave me that number. I said, would you mind if I had an exercise uh, for you and that I would come back to you and tell you how many pallets we can move in an hour? for you and then multiply it out in the day, then the week, then the month, and then the year. I did it for him and uh, he gave me the order right there, $3,500 a truck times 20, 
is a big number, $70,000 back then. So it, it basically is to drill down to an understanding and what their objective was for, for saying that. And that's something that uh, I have talked with one of your former guests, I guess, Gary Moore, about objective-based selling. And Gary and I had the conversation and I said, this is really, it's quote, good stuff. I said, I guess I've been doing this for years and working with Raymond and uh, just never put it down in the form of a book, Gary, because if I had done that, maybe we would have been publishing the books together. So, so that's it. But that's just, those are just mm-hmm. a few things. Avoid that or avoid a number of, of uh, times that you get that objection. By getting involved in a sales process early on and you eventually going down through the steps of it would write the budget or whatever the person is trying to do. And that's something that uh, you have basically control over a situation, but you're also doing a service for the customer as well. So kind of staying on that topic, and I've had the pleasure over the years of seeing you interact with some of your customers. And I think you have really deep personal relationships with some of those accounts that you you built over the years and especially at your time at Raymond. And, and I think in today's environment, some of the newer salespeople, maybe even people who've been here for a while, are having trouble navigating how to build those relationships without the ability to always be seen in person and having most of the communication through electronic means. How would you right. say in today's environment, you really establish those deep relationships that you were able to build over the years, but in an electronic landscape? You know, that's a very good question, actually. And uh, one of the things that comes to mind is do not become an email address with someone. Don't do that. Be a person and then person on the other end that you're dealing with, whether it's by a, quote, Zoom call, a team meeting whatever you want to call it, treat them as an individual. Uh, In today's day and age with the internet, there's just so much information you could find out about a company and hopefully about the individual that you're calling on that you've identified as a decision maker. And you have to establish a rapport with them at some point. And in establishing a rapport with them, I think you really need to know something about them as people as well. Both people in terms of the objective in their job, but their objectives as individuals within their company. How can you make them look good in the people they have to look good in front of? How you can give them assurance that they've made the right decision to even be talking to you and you develop a trust for them. And the, the best way to uh, what I guess is to say, be a real person. Don't be a, uh, a statistic with them and to find out more about them as people. The, the other thing that's important to me is that response. And response is critical in this day and age because of the world that we live in. But by, by doing that, you are showing people that you care about them. If you respond, and I'm not saying instant response, but you if you respond with some sense of urgency to them. I mean, that's a statement that's been around forever. But you'd be surprised at the number of people who do not do that. And when they tell me, well, I waited a couple of days, I said, let me tell you something. A reputation is something that is very hard to get, whether it's a good one or a bad one, but it's even harder to lose that reputation. So you better make sure you're on the right side of the equation with that. So I I would think that it's basically showing people that you're interested in their business. If you get them as a customer, 
that you just don't let it go after the sale, that you stay with them, find out what they're interested in based on what they told you about and the project that you're working on with sort of information unsolicited that you know they may be interested in. People appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to the original point that as much as things change, they tend to stay the same because a lot of those basic core principles of relationship building still exist in terms of what you said of follow-up, follow-through, response time, empathy. You know, those are incredibly important, whether you're dealing with somebody face-to-face or you're talking to somebody over Zoom. So I think those are important to yeah. consider. Yeah, I've told young salespeople that if, if, if a potential customer or a prospect or an existing customer wants to do business with you, they are going to find every way possible to develop a relationship with you to do business with them. They have to trust you most of all, and they have to feel they made a safe decision by selecting you. And that takes time to do that. Sometimes it takes a number of years to do it. But then when you get there, and I don't know if this is on this topic or not, you have to have relationships within an organization on your organization side and on the customer side that have depth and breadth. You have to have the ability to have their CEO feel comfortable calling your CEO. And likewise, uh, and that's something that is very, very important. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a hurdle that people have difficulty getting over. And I was very lucky very early on in my career, um, my mentor and, and your friend, really taught me the importance of networking and i would say it's not something that comes naturally to me nor is it something that i you know i would say organically like to do um but he really stressed the importance of that and both internally and i mean basically yeah summing it up it would be treat people as individuals listen to them and actually empathize with what uh, what they are communicating to you uh clients want to want to know the best way to reach out to you tell them what the best way is to reach you and be clear in your messaging admit that you make mistakes show competency consistency and be trustworthy and show people they really do for their trust that they place in you and your company people want mm-hmm. so kind of saying on the, on the same topic but switching a little bit you know looking back at, at 2020 i think the sales organizations of a lot of companies were significantly impacted just because the nature of how they were doing business did change a little bit in this last year do you think 2020 will have yep. any lasting impact on really the sales environment moving forward yeah i i think that one of the uh one of the areas that we are going to see more of is what you and I are interfacing with right now. It's already happened. Uh, I uh, kiddingly say I wish that I bought Zoom stock uh, three years ago. It would have been a great move. Mm. Yeah. And, but there have been, there have been so many different other uh, platforms that have been put into place for meetings like you and I are having here. Um, so it is. It's going to change. It's going to change in the real works state world. People don't need, I, I have a relative who for United Technologies. He said right now they have buildings with entire floors vacated and they're not going to get refilled again because of what has happened here and the, and the model that they've adjusted to. There are going to be, he said he's going to a hospital and be working at home 
uh, two days a week and in the office three days a week. And he said it's adjustable too. They will be able to adjust that. And that's what they have found out. Many companies have found out um, in the past 18 months. So those are going to be some of the biggest changes. Uh, and the, the other be with travel. We all know that. It, it's much easier to go ahead and do what we're doing here and much more cost effective. However, that does not eliminate the need to go ahead and see these important people that you're working with mm. on a face-to-face basis and flesh to flesh shake the hand. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting world and I'm sure it'll be uh, evolving as uh, as time goes on. The biggest that has helped out a lot is that many of these video conference calls are much more secure and being hacked than they were in the past. You know, face the Skype has virtually disappeared right now. Mm. And people are more comfortable with it than they were, you know, even just, <clears throat> excuse me, a year ago, yeah. which helps. Yeah, for sure. So if, I, if we could switch gears kind of away from sales a little bit, I really want to take advantage of your leadership experience and, and the time you spent in the industry to ask a, f- a few questions along those lines. Um, you know, I talk sure. to a lot of different individuals within the Mahita network, and a lot of them are in that emerging leaders group of people that have risen up in the organization, maybe at mid-management right now, um, tend to be a little bit younger than some of the senior leaders. And there certainly is a challenge with selling their ideas kind of up the chain, you know, selling your ideas or your concepts and getting other people to buy in. I know for a fact that you've had to do this many times over your career, and I was hoping you could give us some advice of how to really sell your ideas, whether it's to a customer or up the chain within your own organization. Yeah, I mean, the most important thing to me is I don't care what you're selling. It's a listening skill, and it's something that uh, – I really have to work on myself still. I'm going to give you a statement right now, and at the end of this, I will tell you what it means. Ancada in paro. Now I'll move on. You have to listen. You've got to have a clarity of message. Uh, I used to like to collaborate with my team, and uh, I would listen to what they had to say. Uh, You've got to set a good behavior example with consistency, empathy, flexibility, and being trustworthy. Uh, and you have to go ahead and be willing to re- to uh, know that you've made a mistake on something. Admit mistakes and uh, take responsibility for failures. And uh, you take the blame and you dole out the credit for positives that have taken place by your team. And that to me is important. How would you say you measure success for you as a leader? That's a good one. Well, first of all, do you know the difference between a leader and a manager? Managers manage assets. Leaders lead people. Okay. Uh, Leadership is really not displayed and gained by words. You make your behaviors ones that are loud behaviors. Uh, As I said, you have to take responsibility for your mistakes and you have to dole out the credit. And top of the pyramid would be those who their people basically trust, they believe them and they feel comfortable in working with them and not working for them. So that's what to me what a leader is. Um, it's not about the captain, it's about the team basically. Agreed, agreed. And I think that was such a great way to put it. Well, Joe, you have made it 
to our famous lightning round of Mihita Talks. Are you prepared? I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question after we get finished. And that's about okay. Encara Imboro, but don't go looking it up on your computer. Okay, that's go ahead. fair. Lightning that's round, fair. I'm ready. All right, lightning round. You ready? You need to loosen up a little bit. All right. Um, I like to start off easy. What was your first job? My first job was a paper boy flipping papers off a paper truck with 1,700 customers on the route, and I started at 14 years old. I wouldn't call my junior 1700? sales. 1,700? Yeah, 1,700 customers. Wow. Where would you go if you were invisible? If I was invisible? Yeah. That's a great question, actually. Um, and it would be in, in present time, right? Yes, in present time. I would. I know where I would go. I would. Uh, I would go to probably my favorite broad, Broadway show that I've ever been to, and go backstage just to see what the people were saying during the show. What is the first thing you notice about somebody when you first meet them? Uh, whether they look you in the eyes when they talk to you. What is one word to describe your computer abilities? Limited. What is your favorite city in the United States besides the one you live in? New York. Uh, and wait, can I put Chicago in there as well? Yes, yeah, so you can always put Chicago in there. Okay, sure. all right. What is one food you could never give up? Pizza. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? I would go back to the Renaissance period. And I would uh, I would go to, to to Italy. How do you like your steak cooked? So yeah. a good vet could revive it. <laughs> what was your favorite childhood TV show? Oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, I would have to say it would be Roy Rogers. Is that like a Western cartoon type thing? Roy Rogers was was actually a uh, a. A regular show. Dale Evans was his wife. That's what it was. And and Rin Tin Tin was was the dog. And Patrick Aloysius Brady was his sidekick who drove uh, a uh, a jeep called Nellie Bell. How's that? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty I'm, good. I'm really I'm really showing my age. <laughs> um, no, the last one. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Uh, marry the girl that you're dating now in high school. Oh, that's sweet. All right. You yeah. made it all the way through our lightning round. Thank you for sharing those with us. Um, you said you had a question for me, so we'll, we'll go back to that. What does Ankara Imporo mean? And it's something that I still try to do today. It was a statement mm -hmm. that was made by a pretty famous artist by the name of Michelangelo. And Ankara in Poro means I am still learning. Wow. I love that. And we all are still learning. I think that's a great place to leave it today. Um, and thank you for helping us learn today. I certainly got a lot out of this conversation and really appreciate you taking the time um, to be with us. Do you want to leave our listeners with any parting uh, words of wisdom? If we are standing still backwards i love that well thanks again joe it was a pleasure speaking with you this has been mahita talks i've been your host sherry altergat 
look forward to seeing you on our next Fajita Talks. Thank you.